And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electric Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And we've got another pile of interesting electric bike, electric motorcycle, and more stories this week. Uh, we're going to cover everything from new e-bikes from Trek and 630 to uh, some interesting political updates on an e-bike bill. GoGro's got a new electric scooter, uh, some sad news out of Sweden about cake motorcycles. I just got a new electric Harley, and Seth has put some serious time on electric snowboard that he's going to update us on. Uh, so where are we going to start this week, Seth? All right. Uh, 630 launches the electric bike. Trike. Trike. Everyone says they actually want. Yeah, so every time I write an article about an electric trike, there's all these, like, armchair automotive engineers that come out of the woodwork to be like, well, actually, if you put the two wheels up front, it'd be so much more stable. And technically, yes, that is correct. But that almost never happens in the e-bike world because it's just a lot more complicated and a lot more costly to design dual front wheels with the steering and everything. But a, an e-bike company called 630 has gone and done it. They've made not only a reverse trike or a tadpole trike with the two wheels up front, but they've also made it a folding design. And on top of that, it is uh, even a tilting trike. So not only is it more stable with two wheels up front, but it actually leans into the turns. So you turn more like a traditional bicycle. Um, and that's really sort of the beauty of this system is that you've got the increased stability of the two front wheels and the normal leaning sensation. So you don't feel like you're getting thrown off of the thing in the turns. Um, they are very small wheels. I think it's 16 inch up front and then a 20 inch wheel in the back. But the other nice advantage of going with the reverse trike or the tadpole trike design is that instead of typically having a front wheel drive trike, you've now got a rear wheel drive trike because they can put that 750 watt hub motor in the rear wheel. And that's where it looks like on this design, most of the weight is going to be because the seat is so far back. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube video here with us as opposed to listening, you'll see we're watching a video of someone test riding this. And it actually looks like a, a pretty nice and comfortable setup. As far as electric trikes go, it's it's not even that big. You know, e-trikes are often big and bulky, but this one looks only slightly larger than a typical e-bike, uh, even in its unfolded state, you know, not even talking about how small it gets when it's folded. So it's really neat to see 630 come out with this uh, tadpole trike for a fairly reasonable price. I believe it's priced at uh, $1,999, so, you know, 2000 bucks for one of these. That's about a $500 premium over the typical uh, $1,500 electric trikes that we see, like uh, the electric XP trike and like the rad trike that's now on sale. But you do have that tadpole design, which everybody seems to want. So now the question is, now that this thing exists, is everyone who says, well, I'd rather have two wheels up front going to actually buy the thing? Yeah, so I think we saw a tadpole trike at one of the uh, bike shows, probably at uh, Eurobike that I'm thinking. Um, and I remember getting on it, and I remember thinking, you know, one of the main th one of the reasons people get trikes is because they feel really stable. Like when you when you're not moving, you can kind of just sit on it and chill. But I remember the, the the tadpole trike that we tried there um, would actually just kind of fall over. If you lean to the left, it would kind of just lean and you kind of fall. <laughs> and that's great for riding. You can ride it more like a two-wheeled bike. Uh, 
but it's not great for people who have, you know, mobility or balance issues. And it kind of like, you know, if that's an issue, why even go with three wheels? You know, like, I don't know if she's going to try it. Uh, we're watching the YouTube still. Um, but it seems like, see how that just kind of falls over. If you're like falling one way or the other, I mean, does that kind of negate the, the three wheel capability? I mean, I would, me personally, I would much rather ride this thing than a uh, two wheels in the back rigid trike. But I wonder also, does this also, this flexibility also kind of eliminate the, the main advantage of, you know, where trikes are, you know, kind of important for people who, you know, don't have great balance or don't trust uh, themselves to, you know, balance a bike. What are your yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, you know, one of the things that's nice about typical trikes that are not leaning is that you never have to put your feet down. And so here you're right. You know, when she leans real far at a stop, the thing gets a little unwieldy. I wonder if there's a way to, I almost thought you were playing the video in reverse there for a second. She was backing yeah. up. Um, I wonder if there's a way to lock the leaning. Oh, maybe because, it has a reverse though. It looks like she might be yeah. in reverse there. Yeah, it looks like it does. That's um, that's actually a really nice feature. I'm going to talk about that when we get to the live wire because my new uh, $17,000 motorcycle does not have reverse, which is very frustrating. But um, <laughs> And this $2,000 trike does. But yeah, I, I wonder if there's a way to lock that leaning because that would solve that issue. Because Yeah, especially know, if it, like an automatic lock where if you're not moving at all, it would just lock into, you know, trike mode, I guess, or, or three-wheel mode. And then once you, once you're, you start rolling, then it, then it kind of loosens up. What do you think? Oh, that would be beautiful. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking automatic, even just like, you know, switch, but yeah, if it could just do it on its own, like now you're talking, of course, that's not going to be a $2,000 trike anymore, but. Is this a $2,000 trike? Yeah. They're, um, that's great. They're taking pre-orders on it now. It's not, uh, I don't think it's going to be shipping soon, but, uh, it's priced at $19.99. That's awesome. And um, I, I remember, so this one looks a little bit different, the one that we're seeing um, on the kind of press images versus the one we saw in the video. Um, there's no uh, back to the to the seat in the, the video. Um, do we know what the default configuration is going to be? Or is it a removable back to the seat? Um, I, that's probably an upgrade seat. I know um, Electric also does like an upgrade option so you can get that um, seat back. I found that when I've ridden trikes like this, it, it seems nice, but I end up not really using it because I'm sitting forward like I would on a normal bike. You know, like when you're on a bike, you're just not used to having a backrest. It's, so right. uh, it, it seems but I, nice, but I feel like I don't even lean into it. Yeah, but you're also not probably the target market for a trike. That's and, fair. You know, maybe uh, the folks that are like the back, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, I like I like to see more of these. Are they going to send us one to to review or? Hopefully, yeah. I'm actually working on a review of their um, rickshaw trike, which is two wheels in the back but has a big bench where you can theoretically put two people. But I've had like five people so far. Um, oh, geez. So maybe the next trike after this one will be this uh, leaning tadpole trike. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Oh, this one's great. Uh, Truck unveils the new Marlin Plus e-bike, pushing Bosch mid-drives to new affordability. Yeah, I knew you were going to like this one, Seth. So uh, this is Trek's newest electric mountain bike. It's based off their very popular Marlin um, acoustic mountain bike. 
Um, this time it comes with a Bosch electric motor, though, uh, which is a big deal because Bosch mid drives, they're seen as you know one of the, the top tier uh, electric mountain bike drives on the market. And they're not cheap. You know, these bikes generally cost four or $5,000 from, um, you know, big bike shop brands like this. And so um, what we're seeing now is Trek's probably lowest priced mid-drive uh, e-bike that we've seen so far. Uh, I think it's $2,700 is the starting price, though you can get a few other nicer bits and pieces on it that's going to um, ratchet the price up by like a thousand bucks. But to start a Trek made Bosch powered mid-drive electric mountain bike at $2,700 is a big deal. Now we have seen Trek bikes for, for less, Trek electric uh, bikes, but they're hub motor bikes. So, um, you know, having a brand name like Bosch on here at this price is pretty nuts. Now it's, it's not a big battery, you know, it's their 400 watt hour. Uh, I think it's the compact tube battery, so you can't even take it out. Um, and it's not a powerful motor. It's their sort of entry level uh, motor that's got, uh, I forget if it's 60 newton meters uh, of torque. I'll have to double check on that one. But it's, you know, it's not their, their ultra powerful uh, climb any hill type of motors. Uh, it's their active line plus, which is acceptable. You know, you're still going to be putting in uh, your own honest pedaling, but it will take you most places. And so there are some, you know, I don't want to say corners cut here because it still looks like a very good bike. But, um, you know, it's not going to have the biggest batteries. It's not going to have the, the highest power. And it's not going to have the nicest drivetrain. But it is coming from Trek, so you know that it's going to use all good parts. And most importantly, you're going to have service and support from Trek and be able to go to local uh, bike shops to get it serviced, which for a lot of people is probably the deciding factor. If you're buying an expensive electric mountain bike, you don't want to be stuck with, where am I going to get this thing serviced? Uh, oh, and now I see the 50 newton meter torque number there. So, you know, modest, not not anything crazy, but but still um, certainly fine power. Uh, but yeah, Seth, I can see this as being like right up your alley. Yeah, I mean, the, the market kind of needs something like this, I think. Um, you know, people want to get into electric mountain bikes, but they don't trust um, kind of the new brands coming out of China or, you know, the, the ones that are basically just made up. Um, they trust track, but they also, you know, they don't want to spend, I don't know, I, I think $5,000 is kind of like the starting point for typical Trek mountain bikes. Um, and Trek has made like, uh, bike e-bikes priced at this price point before. And I think even with Bosch stuff, but like, I feel like the Verve, they had a Verve for 2,600, but that's kind of like a, you know, a hybrid street bike or whatever. Um, so I, you know, I think this is a a great like uh, starting point for a uh, Trek high quality e mountain bike. Although, like, did they give specs on that 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 suspension fork? Looks looks a little bit um, low low end. Um, yeah, I but... don't recall which fork it is. I mean, a lot of these parts are going to be a, a bit lower shelf, but you know, Trek's not going to put garbage on here. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's that's what's great about the Trek brand is like, you know, you're getting good stuff all around, even, you know, their lowest cost, which, you know, admittedly is, you know, you can get a e-mountain bike for half the price, but it's going to be much worse off. And of course, like having a, a Bosch drivetrain is like, you know, I, I kind of feel like that that's like a $2,000 starting point right there. Like, yeah, you know, you add a Bosch drivetrain, you're, you're adding $2,000 to the, the cost of the bike. It also looks like they have big, um, 
uh, break uh, stuff up front, which is good. Um, I, I, I remember you said the uh, the battery is non removable. Um, is that even by like a bike shop? Like in you know five years, that can it be removed like uh, that way, or is it just not like user removable or whatever? Right, I think it's it's still serviceable. Um, a lot of those batteries you can remove uh, after taking either the motor out, or if they're not mid drives, often you take the um, the pedals out and slide it out uh, past mm-hmm. the bottom bracket. But I think this is the compact tube that isn't you know removable for charging. Okay, and it you no, know, this might also be a good way for you know mountain bikers to kind of ease into um, electric mountain bikes. So you're a mountain biker, maybe you're, you know, my age 50 and, uh, you're like, eh, I'm need some help on those Hills a little bit. This is a good way to like dip your toes into the, the e-mountain bike world without like, you know, fully, fully going e-bike. You can keep your, uh, your, your downhill bike as well. So Absolutely, I love, yeah. I love to see this. Yeah. This is exciting for the industry. I think. All right, let's move forward. Congress finally agrees on electric bike bill, but not the one everyone wanted. That's typical. Yeah, of course. This is not the uh, e-bike act, which was working its way pretty well through Congress to provide a federal incentive for e-bike purchases. Instead, this is a new bill that is designed to give the um, uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission a mandate to regulate uh, electric bike batteries in the U.S. Because right now, they can only create um, uh, voluntary standards, not something that's you know, enforceable. And so um, the, the idea behind this bill is to give them the authority to say, like, these are the standards that e-bikes imported into the U.S. need to, to meet to ensure that these batteries are safe. Uh, and this relates to something we've covered a, a decent amount, that there's been an uptick in fires caused by lithium-ion batteries, uh, from electric bikes and electric scooters and other micromobility devices. Uh, I think it is important to keep this in perspective that, you know, we're talking about, uh, even in New York, um, cases of like, I think it was 17 deaths last year, which each one is a tragedy, but, you know, this is, there are many, many more deaths on the subway, for example. So, you know, the, while this is a problem, it's important to keep it in perspective. But in this case, this is all about uh, both parties of Congress seeming to come together on one of the few times that at least I've seen any bipartisan action in the last year or two. And uh, so in that way, I think this is a good thing and that, you know, we all want e-bikes to be safer, um, even for people that don't ride e-bikes. You know, if you've got someone living in the apartment beneath you and they're charging their bike, you want to make sure that their bike is safe because that affects you. So I would call this generally a good thing. Uh, I hope that the uh, regulations that, that may come out of this, if this bill actually passes, are not overly heavy handed. You know, we want to make sure that we don't stifle e-bike innovation and, you know, sort of uh, limit smaller companies that, that don't have the, um, uh, you know, financial coffers to be able to keep up with some of this, this increased burden of regulation. But of course, it is very important to ensure safety here. So in general, I think this is a great thing. And if this is what it takes to finally get some bipartisan support, then, you know, perhaps it's just one more feather in e-bikes caps. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's actually kind of interesting to me as well is that if the if there is a battery um, uh, standardization kind of uh, byproduct from this, you know, if, if, uh, if there's like a, hey, you know, you need to have this, this, and this for the batteries, 
the e-bike companies might be like, oh crap, we don't, you know, we don't have enough time to to make up something like that. Let's just get a off the shelf solution here, and maybe a, a couple big companies, you know, figure it out and make a a compatible bike battery. And lo and behold, all the bike batteries are the same, and you can take one bike battery from another, and like all of a sudden you've got a, kind of a standard. I, you know, that would be a really great byproduct of something like this. Yeah, that that sounds beautiful. I I hope that's <laughs> you're too jaded. Possible, yeah, yeah, really. Um, I mean, it's it's not you know impossible. I think that 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 is absolutely plausible. In that you're right. You know, if if companies have to sort of go back to the drawing board and start figuring out new solutions, and there's only a couple big battery suppliers that say like, listen, listen, we already got this worked out, then maybe companies are finally sort of forced to coalesce around one or just a couple designs um i'll keep my fingers crossed for that uh, i don't know if i bet on you wouldn't put, it at you're, all. you're not gonna put money on it though no That's I, i'm afraid not unfortunately all right well hopefully it makes it through all right let's move forward gogoro launches new pulse electric scooter as highest performance model yet yeah this one's exciting um this is a totally new design for GoGo. If you're familiar with the company's scooters, they've always been very, you know, like bubbly, cute, rounded, um, just that like very sort of like fun Asian design. And this new scooter, not only is it higher performance, but it takes a totally new design. It's very angular, it's very sharp edges, and it's got a lot of new technology. Um, one of the standout features is the higher power. So it's got um, a nine kilowatt motor and uh it's been sort of like wink wink hinted to me from some people inside the company that there's a chance that in the future that motor could do more power right now it's it's limited to nine kilowatts which is plenty for an electric scooter uh it's unclear what the top speed is but it's significantly more power than the um gogoro scooters that have done in the like 55 to 60 mile per hour range so you know it's probably going to do at least 60 if not a good bit higher than that, certainly highway speeds. Um, but they've also got a new cooling system. The scooters have always been liquid-cooled up until now, but now they're using both a combination of liquid and forced air to create uh, not only a higher-power scooter, but also a more efficient scooter than they've had in the past, so that they can use those same batteries in a higher-power motor and still get uh, that good range. Of course, GoGro is famous for those swappable batteries, which is what really makes them stand out as having this sort of de facto international battery swapping standard. Um, and then the uh, last two sort of like really cool tech features here. One is this massive screen. I think it's like a 10 inch screen on this thing that has a lot of different um, impacts. It's gonna do uh, like turn by turn navigation. You're gonna have lots of different customization for your screen. It's basically like a, an automotive level um, display, but put onto a scooter, which we've never really seen before. The second big uh, innovation here is the headlight, which again is almost like automotive level. Uh, it's made out of, I think, 13 different segments and they're not all on at the same time, but they uh, alternate depending on your speed and your lean angle and things like that. So that as you're going faster, it's shining light further out ahead of you. So you can you know, have higher reaction time when you're leaning into turns. The more you lean, the more it's turning on like the outer edge lights to sort of lead you into the turn and let you see further around uh, coming obstacles, that sort of thing. So uh, it's really interesting in, in how it works and it doesn't have any moving parts and yet it kind of like moves the light around 
depending on the riding conditions and, and how you're riding. So uh, just like a lot of really cool innovations that we haven't seen from GoGro yet, put into this new scooter to make it just a lot more high performance, a lot higher tech, and kind of pushing the company in this new, uh, more sort of aggressive design language. Um, obviously, you know, they're still producing their, their other scooters. There's still a lot of like cute, bubbly, round GoGro scooters out there. But this is definitely one to watch as it rolls out. Yeah, I, I think this is awesome and definitely the way to go, uh, especially the, you know, the theoretical highway component. And of course, like it's not in the U.S. yet, but we would love to see these things here. Um, we did see that the uh, Gogoro's in the Americas now, which is South America, right? Yes, they're going into, I think, Colombia and uh, shoot, there's another country. I forget. There's somewhere else in uh, South America. So they're definitely expanding. Uh, into the Americas, which is a big deal because they have not yet been um, west of like Israel, I think. I mean, they were in Germany for a little while as part of a, a scooter share program, uh, Coop, I think, but um, they've basically only been in Asia so far. So to even come to South America is a big deal, and maybe it means North America's next. Who really knows? I would love to see New York. I think New York would be perfect for this kind of situation. Um, but. But, uh, you know, back to this particular uh, vehicle, um, how do they, I mean, obviously they've had the batteries around for a long time. They've been for the, you know, mediocre speed um, uh, scooters. How do they get so much power out of the same batteries? I mean, I, you, you mentioned that the, you know, forced air cooling does, do they take like electricity from both batteries at the same time? And also, does that like diminish the, you know, the range? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it does if you're going much faster. Does this store like more batteries? How did, how, what's this, like the idea there? Yeah, so I think it's still two batteries, like most of their scooters. Uh, and it does use the same batteries, but they've designed these batteries really well from the outset. I mean, this battery design has been around for, uh, I think, like eight years now. And so um, I think they've basically overbuilt them to give them the opportunity to expand into higher power uh, machines like this. The other thing is that their whole battery swapping system is very intelligent in that when someone goes up to these swapping stations, it knows what not only what vehicle they have to sort of like give them the, the better battery for them. So, you know, if they have this pulse, then it's probably going to give them the newer, fresher batteries, but also the individual rider knows how they ride so like interesting if it's like a grandma that she just doesn't really give a lot of throttle often and she's like very easy on it it'll sort of give her the like older weaker batteries that you know are still okay but they're not gonna um, have as much power as the newer battery kind of thing so they've got a really well worked out system there and the pulse takes two batteries like every other gogoro yeah yeah and they do um run in parallel uh so you know it's drawing from both of them at the same time okay yeah, I mean, I guess that that is like the the two batteries at once idea. All right, uh, let's move on. Breaking electric motorcycle company Cake quietly files for bankruptcy. That was a bummer. Yeah, this is uh, really sad to see because Cake has always been a fascinating company to watch. They've got their own design language. It's very unique. It's very Scandinavian and. While I don't know that I would personally ride one, I've always loved that they existed and I love seeing them because it's just like seeing this cool, you know, engineering design rolling down the road. But unfortunately, the company um, 
while nearing the end of a uh, capital funding raise, one of their investors backed out and they didn't have time to find the remaining funds and they were forced to file for bankruptcy uh, last week, I believe, which is just a really sad day for the industry. Um, it has been a tough last year or so um, for the motorcycle and bicycling industries. We just haven't seen you know, the, the huge sales coming out of the pandemic years keep up in, in 2023 the way they did in 2021 and, and 2022. So this unfortunately looks like it's going to be another casualty of the current financial situation. It's, it's hard to say what happens here. I mean, bankruptcy is designed to protect a company, to help shield it from some of its debt in, in a way that can potentially help it survive. It's unclear if that's what's going to happen here. Um, you know, the other sort of big bankruptcy we saw recently was Van Moof. And in that case, it sort of worked the way it was intended to. Um, the company was able to find a new buyer and is going to come back in some form with um, McLaren's scooter company as sort of the new owner. So maybe this isn't the end for Cake. You know, maybe this is uh, just a, a bump in the, the motorcycle road here. But it's it's hard to say for sure what's what's going to happen, and you know the, the prospects never look good when you when you get to this step, unfortunately. Yeah, it's always a little bit scary because uh, you know Cake was so unique in their designs, um, and you know I think the broader problem, like there, there's been a lot of problems in the 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 e bike industry um, of late, and I think the broader problem is the interest rates on capital uh, used to be close to zero, and now. Uh, you know, you, you can't just throw money around anymore um, without paying like significant um, interest rates on it. So, you know, I think all the all the brands without like, you know, really strong, um, you know, some profitability or some, you know, some like end, end in sight kind of of debt um, are in a little bit of, you know, a little bit of peril. Um but it would be nice to see K come out of this the other side, or or maybe you know some bigger company picks them up. I know that they've had um, some tie-ups with the automotive company Polestar, which is also, or you know Volvo and and Polestar uh, Sweden based. I wonder if that's a possible. You know, obviously they're owned by Geely or mostly owned by Geely. I wonder if that's a possible buyer of uh, you know a um, bankrupted Cake. Yeah, that would be fascinating, actually. Um, I see here there's like a bunch of, you know, U.S. and, and Swedish uh, investors involved. Do we know what the, uh, you know, the market cap, I guess, of, of Cake is these days? I have just no idea. No, it, it wasn't public, so I'm not sure that those figures are, are going to be out there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's anybody's guess at this point. Like, there's th different yeah. different levels put on it. Well, I hope they uh, return to uh, solvency or whatever, and and uh, become a a player in the in the business again. Absolutely. All right. Uh, watch this electric motorcycle ride battery deep through a California through California floodwaters. This one's kind of wild. It's not the first time we've seen uh, electric motorcycles get a bit wet, um, and you know we, we've all seen videos of. Tesla is just about floating, driving, you know, super deep through water. Um, but this really illustrates one of the advantages of electric vehicles. And in this case, electric motorcycles is that they can be 
essentially entirely sealed. They don't have an air breathing engine like uh, internal combustion engine motorcycles. And that means that uh, as long as the components are sufficiently waterproofed, there's almost no limit to the amount of water they can ride in as long as the bike can stay up. In this case, we've got uh, the motorcycle essentially completely submerging its battery under these waters and riding around just fine. The battery and almost everything on the bike is IP67 rated on this uh, Rivet Anthem motorcycle. And that means that you know you could take the battery and throw it in the shallow end of a pool, uh, like three feet deep, and it'll sit there for an hour, no problem. I mean, that's the minimum for the rating. It'll probably last a lot longer, but you could you know submerge your battery, fish it out, pop it in the motorcycle, and just continue riding. I was talking to the uh, founder of the company about this when I saw this video. What he told me is that basically everything on the bike, with the exception of the display, is IP67 rated, meaning it could be submerged. The display and its connectors are IP65 which I think is uh, protected against um, uh, water jets from every angle. So, you know, you could ride it in rain and stuff, but you can't necessarily submerge it. And so what he said is, uh, well, I asked him, does that mean you could basically ride this thing in water up to the handlebars? And he said, yeah, and you can even ride it in higher water. You just might lose your display. So, uh, you know, there's, there's basically no limit to how wet you can get this thing, which is kind of fun to see. Now, it's not very practical, especially in like, raging floodwaters because you don't really want to ride through that stuff and get swept away very easily in this case this is very like still water in the flooded loading dock area but uh, so you know we're not recommending riding through flood water but it is kind of a neat demonstration that just shows how easy it is uh or the easy isn't the right word but you know how how well waterproofed uh, motorcycles can be created yeah so this would be great for uh florida where it floods like every few weeks months so you could just have yeah. it sitting in your garage while the water is up to the uh, the wheel wheel wells. Yeah, this is uh, your uh, hurricane bike. <laughs> yeah, this is your hurricane bike, guys. Um, that's super cool. Uh, does this thing float? Like, uh, I can't it's, imagine. I mean, the so bike I tires. asked him about that. Yeah, like with, with uh, all the air volume in the tires. And he said there's still like good traction. Um, he said they wanted to do a video with like a snorkel gear and stuff to like see how deep they could get this thing and, and still ride it. But it seems like it's. Uh, it weighs enough. I think it's like 280 pounds, so I'm not mistaken. So even with all that tire volume, it seems to still ride pretty well. Interesting. I wonder if they could get like some floaties to put on the side and <laughs> and keep it like wheel high. So like the, the wheel was kind of turning and you could kind of turn it into a uh, jet ski kind of thing. You can get some like big dirt bike tires, almost like paddle tires. And yeah. Just have like a big paddle wheel. Yeah. Yeah, this, that, that would the, be they're missing a huge market. <laughs> I'll bring that up with them. All right. Uh, and speaking of weird situations, uh, I finally got the uh, review out um, of the Rusher Ripple electric snowboard. Um, this thing was absurd from the from the beginning. Um, I uh, so. So just a little bit of background, um, the Cyrusher Ripple is a snowboard with a hole cut in the back of it with a big hub wheel uh, with a kind of a snowmobile uh, traction in the wheel. Um, it weighs 33 pounds, which is about uh, 30 pounds more than a typical snowboard. I maybe, maybe, I mean, a typical snowboard is, you know, five, 10 pounds. So, I mean, it's just like a super heavy, uh, uh, in the back snowboard, which is important because like when you're riding it, it totally changes 
you know, the use case of it. Um, it's not just the, um, the hub motor that makes it heavy. It, it also has a, you know, a waterproof controller. Um, if you're watching the YouTube video, um, that's the controller. Um, and then it doesn't have the battery. So you're talking about another, I don't know, 10, 15 pounds in a backpack with a wire attached. So not, not super simple and easy as you would kind of hope, but, um, you know, it, the thing I keep coming back to is this is the first one and it works. Um, you know, it, it, the, I can, you know, glide across, across the snow. And more importantly, uh, my son who weighs about half of what I weigh, uh, can actually use it in a, in a ton of different types of snow. Um, for me, the snow had to be perfect. Um, it has to be very firm, but also very slippery. Uh, for him, he was kind of doing stuff in powder and, and, you know, other other types of snow so um you know my weight and you know i typically have a much bigger snowboard um made it a little bit harder to get you know pushed off and then also harder to uh you know maneuver the the thing because um you know you typically maneuver a snowboard by you know like carving and this thing just it like it's hard to carve it's hard enough to steer let alone carve (laughs) Um, so my son, who's a competitive snowboarder, um, uh, found it pretty easy. Um, so, you know, when you take a look at this thing, um, it kind of reminds you of a snowboard, but it's also a bit like a electric skateboard or, you know, snowmobile, electric skateboard. And of course that motor is kind of a, um, a scooter motor, a, a powerful one. It's three kilowatts. So, mm-hmm. Specs wise, uh, three kilowatt motor in the back, which is crazy. Um, the battery is, I think, 650 uh, uh, watt hours. The um, it, it says it can go 30 miles and 30 miles per hour, uh, probably not at the same time. Uh, so, you know, all pretty interesting specs from this, you know, first of its kind vehicle. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's got a barrel controller. It, it definitely felt like this was put together with parts from, um, you know, e-bikes and scooters and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the, you know, I actually got a, there's a little demonstration. It has a, uh, kind of an e-bike, sorry, an, uh, electric skateboard controller, which makes sense in this kind of scenario because, um, it's, you know, it kind of feels like an electric skateboard. When you push it forward, it obviously accelerates the wheel. But when you push backwards, it doesn't go into reverse. It actually breaks. And like I said before, um, it doesn't operate like a snowboard. It's hard to, like, turn sideways and stop. Uh, so that brake is actually pretty nice to have because, uh, you know, once you get going fast and you want to slow down, it's not easy to swing the back around and, and slow down. So having that brake... Uh, slows you down, but it kind of turns it into a different type of vehicle. So uh, for those watching, here's a a video of me accelerating on very thin but slippery snow. Um, And you can tell it's it's losing a little traction. I think a traction control module in there would really do a lot of benefit. Um, And then I cut it, obviously, before I fell over. But um, uh, this is uh, some example of me in kind of crusty powdery snow um, where you'll see um, it spins quite a bit before it actually gets traction. And then um, once it finally gets traction after, you know, I'm pushing it a little bit, um, 
it it moves, but it's it it it's all or nothing. So you know, this is something that I think Cy Rusher can kind of uh, work on a little bit. Um, and you know, we we know Cy Rusher does um, e bikes that we like. So I I kind of feel like this is like one of those garage toys. Maybe one of the founders or one of the you know chief technical people is a snowboarder and was like. Like every other snowboarder, like, hey, what if we put an electric wheel on the back of a snowboard? What, what would happen? Definitely a version one thing. But you can see there, my son's having a, a blast on it. So, um, you know, I, th- I think there's something here. Uh, I just don't think that this is going to be for a lot of people. What's your What's your take there, Micah? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the first days of electric bikes were like real rough, right? I mean, it was like almost the, the early days of motorcycles where it was like a weed whacker engine on a bike kind of thing. So this has very early e-bike days vibes, but we've come a long way since then. So I could see maybe 10 years from now, there's much nicer, much less bulky ways to drive a, an electric snowboard. And it really becomes like a, just an augment thing as opposed to this massive, powerhouse on the on the back of a snowboard you know maybe it is something you can actually carve with and it's just there to help you get back up the hill kind of thing um or maybe they're like clip-on units that like you ride up to the top of the hill and you pop it off and you you know ride back down and maybe like the ski park has them as like you know they're owned by the ski park so you don't have to remember to grab yours at the top again kind of thing yes and they're all just sitting in a charger charging dock or something yeah so like there's i'm sure there's potential here like you said, this is very much like V1 early days kind of thing, which, you know, as an engineer, excites me. Everything starts in the early days. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've, you know, like kudos to Cyrusher for like actually putting this thing out. Like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is probably just a marketing ploy. And, you know, they'll make a few of them and they'll take them to some ski hills and get some, you know, publicity and, you know, put some links to their e-bikes in there. And, and you know, that's that's the play. But they're actually, you know, selling this. And I think, you know, for a certain segment, this will be a fun toy to play with. I know my son certainly wants to take it to school and show his friends. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think there's a, something here. Um, but, and there's, you know, there's so much more stuff to do to, to improve it. I was actually thinking like, you know, like a one wheel design with like you put the wheel between the legs and that might be that might be the the play there, and and maybe you know you you put it in neutral when you're going down a hill, so you don't have to remove it, or if you remove it, you know you have to fill it, fill in that hole somehow, so you're not you know pulling up um, snow, and so a lot of lot of uh, scenarios there. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like you need to sit down with the Cy Rusher people on like a notepad and be like, listen, guys, we got to talk. There's a lot yeah. to go on here. Yeah. And I feel like they probably know, like, you know, they're using it too. They probably know what version two uh, needs to have or some of the things version two needs to have. So, you know, my, my feedback to them is like, keep at it, you know, like keep pulling strings, make it lighter, make it, uh, you know, use... Like you don't need three kilowatts of power. One kilowatt would probably be enough. You don't really need to go too far, you know, like uphill too hard, because like the power always is more than the um, the snow. And then of course a traction control thing would be nice as well. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I think I think there's something here. Should we move on to comments? Um, if you are watching live and we see that there's 
dozens of us, uh, go ahead and give us a comment and uh, we'll get into the comments here, which are pretty small. We, right. uh, we skipped over one, though, my, uh, my live live story. Oh, we skipped over the live right. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. All good. All good. You got it. You got to. I know you just didn't want to follow the live wire. That's all. I, no, no. I was I uh, I uh, was so excited about the side rusher. I just blew yeah. into that. It was right. a last minute edition. This just got posted like right before the uh, podcast. I bought Harley's new electric motorcycle. Delivery was a hot mess, but it's still awesome. Yeah. So I've been super excited about this one. Um, I've been on the fence about which electric motorcycle to get. I've been wanting to buy one as my like, you know, everyday rider for in the U S for a while. Um, and it, it was, uh, I, I've said before, it was really coming down to either the rivet anthem or the live wire, um, Del Mar. I went with the Del Mar just because to me, having that like added benefit of local dealers as well as twice the battery size, um, was you know, a big, big part to me. Part of me kind of wishes I just get both the rivet also, but you know, maybe that's down the road. But anyways, it came time for delivery of this bike and it was just, it was a wild process. Now I think other people have had much better delivery experiences than mine, but mine was uh, a sight to be seen. So I have an appointment. I head down to uh, the Livewire uh, store in Sunrise, Florida. It's like 30 miles away from where I stay in Florida. So the, the Livewire store is separate from the Harley store or is it part of the Harley store? That's a great question. Uh, until I went to pick it up, I assumed it was separate. Once I got there, I realized it's just the local Harley Davidson dealer. Um, and I guess they have like, you know, a second, you know, suite two on the mailing address is Livewire, uh, which is fine. You know, like they, they work together. Uh, Livewire was spun out of Harley. Uh, so I get there, I walk in I'm like, Hey, I'm here to pick up my, uh, my Livewire. And they're like, cool. Who are you? And you're what? <laughs> and then no hey, idea. what's a Livewire? Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, like no one knew who I was. No one knew there was going to be a delivery that day. They didn't even think they had my motorcycle there, which it's supposed to have been, been shipped there like five weeks prior. And so, um, you know, everyone's very confused. I text my uh, couple live wire contacts and they're like, you know, they all get working real quick. And suddenly, um, the, the Harley Davidson dealership people find my bike. It's upstairs and they're like long-term storage. Um, and so I think like, all right, great. Now things are going to go well, but after how, how did it, they get it upstairs? Like, do they bring it down the stairway? <laughs> there's a, a special elevator for, oh, uh, good. for motorcycles. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so once they find it, it turns out it's got 0% charge, which I don't know how long it was sitting like that, but that's, that's a big problem because I have to ride at home. So, um, also they, not great for the battery, is it? To let it, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to follow up on that, but, uh, so, but like, that's a, that's a future mica problem. The first mica problem is right. uh, getting this bike out of here. So they put it on like a, you know, 120 volt charger on the wall there. That's what we're looking at here in the service center. Uh, it's a 10 and a half kilowatt hour battery. So you look like an eight hour charge that way. Um, not ideal. And so, uh, and it so was funny because they don't they have, have a level two charger for like the old Harleys. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of Harleys stations even had like level three. Like uh, yes. fast chargers. So uh, interesting note there. So they don't have a level two there. Um, one of the employees, so they were all super nice. They're all like trying to be very helpful because they're like as surprised as I am. So one of them's like, oh, well, let's like plug it into the, um, the level three charger we have. And like, I couldn't even explain to them yet that it can't 
do you see fast charge before someone else was like, oh yeah, we had that decommissioned. So they, apparently they ripped out their DC fast charger at the, the Sunrise Florida uh, Harley Davidson dealer. So there were, there I wonder were if they had like a ceremony problems. when they ripped it out. They're like, screw <laughs> these electric things. Yeah. So um, it was it was a bit of a, a cluster fudge there. Um, but eventually I got like 15% or so into the uh, battery. I looked on uh, on PlugShare and like a quarter mile down the road was a charge point station. So I was like, perfect. Like, you know, I only need like 3% battery to get there. So charged it for like an hour, rode down to charge point, um, got the battery up to like 40%. And then I was like, all right, let's head home. It was like a 30 mile uh, ride home. Uh, you got it to what percent to go 30? I got up to like 40% using the level two charger. Hmm. Um, okay. But then on the way home, I had to stop uh, to have a meeting with you actually. So we had a, a Zoom for an electric thing. Uh-huh. And I'm riding to another charging station. I'm going to charge out on the way like to stop and have the Zoom call. But now I see that not only is the battery getting really low, and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it, but also my phone battery is down to like 6%. And I have to use the GPS, which is like not super great for, for your phone battery. And I need my phone to like activate that charger when I get there. So it's like, do I ride fast to get there and still have my phone battery to be able to charge? Or do I ride slower and... You know, but if I ride too fast, I won't have any motorcycle battery. So I, I like just had to like balance it right in the middle of that uh, Cash 22. And I rolled in with 8% uh, motorcycle battery and like 6% phone battery. So ended up being fine. I was able to charge, got up like 50% while we were in a Zoom meeting, and then rode the rest of the, rest of the way home uneventful. So just like a total mess of a delivery, but the bike itself is incredible. I'm in love with the thing. It's got, um, I think it's like uh, 70 kilo. I'll go, go double check. It's zero to 60 in, in 3.1 seconds. So it's just crazy fast. Um, 10 and a half kilowatt hours. That gives me like 113 miles of city range. Only had it for a day. So, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, range testing on it yet. But, you know, for, for city needs, like I'm never going to need to go more than 113 miles. And this is really sort of a um, higher end of the commuter motorcycles. This is not something you're going to be touring on. That sort of thing. So yeah, my, I would, needs, my next my next question was: Are you going to be able to take it from one side of Florida to the other? Theoretically, yes, but um, I got to go a bit more northern because that uh, southern route across Alligator Alley, there's I think one charger in the middle, and it's a DC fast charger. So ah, yeah, one day there will be more level two chargers, but to do it now, I would I would have to go more I, northerly. I mean, it it really doesn't make sense to have a level two charger there in the middle of the, unless there's like a tourist, you know, like, you know, buy smokes yeah. from Native American reservation or something. Generally, yes, I'd agree with you. But the cool thing about electric motorcycles is that a level two charger is almost like a fast charger for a right. motorcycle. Right. Like if I stop for lunch, I can get, you know, like 60 to 80% of my battery charged on a level two. Yeah, but I mean, how many people are on electric motorcycles crossing Alligator Alley? I can't imagine. It's a big one. Just me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there has not, to be there has to be like a, you know a an outlet a you know a NEMA 1450 outlet somewhere between the two. I mean, I was doing research on doing uh, going to the top of Alaska, and I you know I found like this airport, and I called them, and I was like, hey you know, can I talk to your electrician about, uh, and the, you know, the electrician was also the, the 
the phone call operator and also like the guy who ran the airport. And he was like, yeah, we have, we have a couple of those. So I was like, oh, cool. We could, we could ride a, uh, a truck, you know, from, but turns out 10 other people had already done it. So we never did it um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So you could probably find a, a level two, um, outlet and bring, and bring a charger. And how much power oh, can you get out of those? Um, I mean, a level two will do 40 amps at 240. So, uh, you know, close to 10 kilowatts. Wow, I think it's okay. 32 amps is 7.2 kilowatts. I think it's 9.6 kilowatts is 40 amps. Out of the NEMA 1450? Yeah, out of the NEMA oh. 1450. And I think that's more than this bike can pull. I think it pulls five and a half kilowatts, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. So you'd be fine. Yeah. That's like more than I would need. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to look into that. I have ridden across Florida on an electric bicycle and I basically just like charged at, you know, restaurants. I can stop for lunch and sit on the right. porch and like have my batteries under the table, but that doesn't quite work as well for a motorcycle. No, no. And also like, you know, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Harley doesn't have a level three charger on this. And it's not because it doesn't need to charge that fast. It's just because it's, you know, level three is, DC, which is the battery, you know, you don't have to have an inverter or rectifier or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. You just basically tell the thing, hey, um, I want whatever, you know, wattage and current or current and amperage that the, the battery charges at, and theoretically the thing should provide it. Um, yeah, I wonder if it was either cost or cooling. I mean, they made the decision for one reason or the other, or maybe they just kept it out as like another reason to upgrade to the Livewire one, which is yeah. like 7,000 more and does have DC fast charging. Um, I mean, yeah. I know you've only had this for 24 hours, but how does it feel from, you know, like after riding it, are you kind of tired? Is it the riding position comfortable? That's something that you would do for hours on end, or is it kind of more of a, you know, quick, quick trips to here and there? So it's absolutely comfortable. If anything, I'm much more comfortable on this one than the Livewire one. Oh, interesting. Um, because this one, I'm definitely more upright. Now, it's not a cruiser at all, but it's got more of a, like an upright roadster feel to me. Whereas the Livewire one, because its battery is so long and it's got that really long motor, uh, the reach is really far. So you're like leaning out over what feels like a really long gas tank kind of thing on the, on the top of it. And so I'm much more comfortable in this one. And that's actually why I bought it was because September of 22, I did the, the first press ride actually for this motorcycle. And like right after I got off it, I was like, man, that just felt amazing. Sign me up whenever orders open. So uh, to me, it just, it feels great. Um, and you could certainly ride it for much longer than the batteries would last. Now at city speeds, you know, if you're doing 30 miles an hour, that's like four or five hours of, on Friday. So, you know, you're rarely going to go that, that far or that long, but, uh, for me, it, it just feels great. It's, it's, it's nice that it has the power that, you know, even if you're in a city and the light turns green, you can just like rock it off, but it's still, you know, manageable in a city. It's not a big, massive bike that's out of place there or is uncomfortable to ride in a city. Yeah. I really like the look of it. Um, do, does that, um, the, those fins on the side, does that cool the battery or cool the motor? Is that the point there? Yeah, they're, um, I mean, it's, it's still liquid cooled. So, you know, there's probably a, a little bit of passive air cooling, but, um, those are like uh, heat sink fins from the side of the battery there on the side. That, that's cool. Yeah. I, I like everything about this. I wish, uh, you know, we've talked about this before that you could take a, 
motorcycle test on an electric bike and not have to worry about, you know, switching gears and clutches and stuff like that. Um, this, this one is particularly tempting. I think it would be great to be, you know, for a first time rider. Do have we made any progress on the taking a test on an electric motorcycle yet? I haven't heard of any places that you can, um, but I feel like it's got to be around the corner. I've been saying that for like a few years now. I mean, there's so many electric motorcycles out now. Like it can't be that far away. And uh, are there any storage options for this? I, I saw the the uh, pack there. I think that's for the charger. Oh yeah, that's just me resting the, the little box for the charger there. Yeah. Um, are there you good can accessories? Get, um, you know, like tail boxes and stuff like that for sure. Uh, I feel like it would ruin the lines of this one, so I don't uh-huh. really intend to put a tail box on it. But um, you can certainly add all sorts of things. I mean, Harleys are probably some of the most customized uh, bikes of you know any any type of motorcycle brand out there. So I'm sure they're going to have a thousand different options that, that you can add on there. And that's how the dealerships make a lot of their money too, is from all of right. those accessories. Well, I mean, this technically isn't a Harley, so maybe that's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And that's right. sort of the interesting thing here is that like weird interplay between Livewire and Harley, which is part of what led to all that confusion of my delivery, but it's right. you know, got, got its ups and downs as well. Yeah. I mean, have they been vocal about like, Hey, this is, you know, this is the temporary plan for like a couple of years, then we're going to have our own shops, like not in the same building as Harley, or is this always going to be like a, you know, left side of the building, right side of the building kind of situation? Well, I don't know. They, they do have, um, you know, live wire experience centers that are just uh, live wire. It kind of looks like an Apple store almost for motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for a while now, you know, they're really going to rely on the established Harley Davidson network because it's just such a huge advantage over any other company. Even zero that's been building bikes for 15 years still has, you know, limited uh, physical footprint and they're basically using other motorcycle dealers uh, to carry zero. So, you know, when you have that huge advantage of hundreds of Harley dealerships, I can't imagine them not wanting to continue to use them. And it just, you know, it's, it's part of this sort of um, live wire trying to have its cake and eat it too. You know, they want to appear like this young scrappy startup, you know, but they're still kind of right. like living out of their parents' house in a way. Yeah. I, I, I really like it. What's the, what's again, the price on this? Um, so this one is the launch edition. So it was 17 and a half thousand, but oh, the yeah, well, non-launch edition is 15 and a half. And what is that extra $2,000 by you? Uh, purple color. <laughs> really? With the, uh, with the cool stripes. Yeah. And, uh, it's one of a hundred. So it's individually numbered. Um, and you get either this or there was a gray sort of tiger striped colorway. But, um, to me, the indigo is just like so much cooler. So yeah, it's yeah, basically it a really the, good it's basically the colorway and the fact that it's got um, an individual number on the side. Mine's 84. But um, to me, oh, like, also, I see this as maybe one day a collector item. I, I mean, all of these go down in value for, you know, a long time before they eventually go up if they right. do. But maybe because it's one of 100 units, then it becomes something special. And we saw these in Europe. Uh, do we know how they're doing out there as well? Like, is have they been delivered yet or... I don't think they've started deliveries yet in Europe. Um, it's only fairly recently that they've been on the road in the U.S. So I don't think Europe's had their Delmar deliveries yet. Okay, and I, well, I think we saw it like in the back of a truck or something, like 
it was like a prop for uh, an electric car or something like that. Oh, was at it? the, uh, yeah, was it, I think Ford's IAA stand. Yeah, yeah. Saw one, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was just like a, you know, a showpiece. Yeah, that was cool, though. Uh, it's a great looking bike. Um, reasonably priced, I think. Uh, maybe not, you know, the launch edition, but um, I think this could be a popular bike. I hope they, uh, you know, they put some marketing muscle behind it. Most important question, um, does it pull chicks? Like, were there any <laughs> ladies who were ponying up to the uh, check this thing out? Or is it, or is it too early to tell? So when I rolled a bag into the neighborhood, a lot of the neighbors were very interested to come out and look at it. I think all of the chicks, so to speak, were married. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's their in their, in their retirement home <laughs> area of Florida. <laughs> Uh, they were young, just married, you know, spoken for. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't want any broken hips or anything uh, yeah. on the back of this. I'll, I'll tell right. you though, um, <laughs> I've I've picked up more girls on scooters than motorcycles. So, oh, really? Yeah, don't uh, don't hate on electric scooters either. Okay, all yeah. right, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and we should probably end it on that. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in for this week's episode of the Wheelie Podcast. We'll be back in another two weeks with another whole pile of stories. We'll see you next time, everyone.